Welcome to Happy to Be Here, your mental health starter kit podcast. This podcast is all about tackling taboo topics head on, and nothing is more taboo than talking about money. Except, what if it's not about the money at all? Scarlett Cochran, today's guest, is the author of It's Not About the Money, a book focused on mindset and all the other parts of money management that actually matter just as much as the amount you have in the bank. We chat about how to have less anxiety when managing your money, where you should start, and how to talk to your loved ones about your finances. I'm Vivian. This is Happy to Be Here, and here's author Scarlett Cochran. I'm so happy to be on another episode of Happy to Be Here with Scarlett. And this time, we're going to be talking all about money, which can be taboo in certain conversations, but we're going to make it fun and approachable and hopefully knock a few of those taboos down as we go along. Yeah, 100%. I mean, managing your money should be fun. So I'm happy that we're able to be the catalyst for that change in people's financial lives. Yeah. And I think so much of it can be emotionally and mentally taxing and lead to anxiety. So really getting at the root of how are you managing your money and what that can look like for you is so important. So I would love for you to introduce yourself and tell me more about your book that is literally called It's Not About the Money. (laughs) Well, hello. I am Scarlett Cochran. I am a lawyer and an entrepreneur, and I teach people about how to build wealth while also creating a life that they love through my company, One Big Happy Life. And that is the subject of the book. It's not about the money because it's not really about the money. It's about the life that you create when you use your money effectively. Tell me more about how you got started and like even the inspiration behind this book. Well, I got started on my personal journey to managing my money well when I was 18 years old and found myself pregnant with my daughter, Alexis, and facing being a single teen mom. And though I was working full-time at the time, I was an active duty Marine, so I had a full-time job, I wasn't making much money. I was making less than $25,000 a year, which was challenging to create a household as a single parent, as a single working mom back then, even, you know, even though it was 20 years ago, $25,000, it wasn't like, you know, the year 1900 or something where that was a whole bunch of money. (laughs) And so I had to learn how to use my money as effectively as possible. So the amount of money that I had, I had to learn how to make it stretch, but I also realized very early on that I didn't want my money, my financial situation to limit what was possible for me Mm -hmm. and that I was going to dream bigger than my present financial circumstances and that I wanted more for my life and I wanted to create a better life for my daughter. So I ended up leaving the Marine Corps after my active duty term expired, my four years, and I put myself through college and I put myself through law school and I became a banking and finance attorney. And so all of the lessons that I learned personally, then I learned the way our financial system actually works, the laws and regulations governing consumer finance. And I regulated the finance industry for 10 years before switching over to entrepreneurship through One Big Happy Life to teach people how to create an abundant, rich life and really how to feel financially confident so that they could make better financial decisions. I love that because I feel like so much of when it comes down to money really is about the mindset that you grew up in and that then that you inherit and kind of work through in your life day by day that you may not even know that you're working through, right? You use the word abundant a lot. And I think that the conversations around abundant mindset are something that are very trendy and popular now, but that sometimes people may not even know what that actually means in practice. 
Yeah. So mindset is kind of this, I have a love-hate relationship with the word mindset because it is mindset. But I think often when people hear the word mindset, they think that it's all sort of manifesting, like mm-hmm. putting your thoughts out into the world and just wishing and waiting for things to happen. Like there's no doing a part of it. Right, exactly. And I want people to think of mindset as the actual thoughts that you are thinking. So the thoughts that you're thinking, the premises, right, the 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 givens that you are taking in your life that well, I can make this amount of money or these are the options available to me. The quality of your thoughts affects the quality of the decisions that you make. So for example, someone who thinks of budgeting as restrictive and so they hate doing it, they will avoid budgeting. Mm -hmm. But the reality is if we're not keeping track of our finances, unless we're making so much money that we're able to just naturally our spending habits align with our financial goals, which is not most people, even if you make a lot of money, Mm -hmm. multiple six figures a year, millions of dollars a year, you can easily overspend. So Let's just say, though, that that's your thought so you don't budget. And so then you don't hit your financial goals over and over. And you think that it's impossible for you because you're never hitting it. But the reality is because you have this thought that budgeting is bad, you've already set yourself up for failure from the beginning. Mm. Conversely, you could think of budgeting, which is the way that I teach it, creating a budget is just deciding in advance what your financial priorities are. No one gets to tell you what your financial priorities are, but you make the decision and you do it with intention from really your your best place, your highest Mm -hmm. level of thought. Not when you're feeling upset (laughs) and feeling like eating out, you don't, or you're at the mall with friends and you see something you had no intention of buying. That's not where we make our best decisions. We make our best decisions in advance. So really, that's a really simple example of how The quality of our thoughts, a.k.a. our mindset, really impacts the results that we get in our lives. It seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the first step in disrupting the patterns of thinking that may have kept you stuck at either thinking you could only make a certain amount of money or thinking you could only spend your money in a specific way is literally stepping into your agency more and feeling more confident within the kind of sphere of finances. So certainly... Here's what I will say. You can just start, meet yourself where you are. So at the very least, I think just about everyone can believe that with some effort, they can improve any area of their life. With some amount of effort, they can make a noticeable difference over time. So all you have to do is believe that you can have a different financial outcome. That is the tiniest, tiniest place for you to start. Just believing that you can do something different, Mm -hmm. that you are capable of understanding your finances, that you are capable of figuring out a way to have the financial results that you want to have in your life. So that belief is essential. But secondly, just awareness. Awareness of what you're thinking So for many of us, the thoughts that we have about money, they are largely unconscious. We, there are default patterns of thinking. They're so habitual that they pass by without us even noticing something as simple as we see something that we want or parents for my parents out there, your kids see something and they want it. And you say to them, oh, we can't afford that. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's an example of where we learn a certain money story that if I see something an excuse that I can use is we can't afford it when really 
oftentimes it's that it's not a financial priority or you already have enough toys and you don't need any more. But we're so used to giving ourselves, our children, that default response, oh, well, I could never afford that. I can't afford that. Instead of saying, well, this isn't a priority for me. Or if you really want that, let's talk about how we can make that happen for you financially. I love that. I want to, it really inspired where I want to take this conversation in terms of like buckets. I want to talk to the women who are, you know, for the most part have no children, the women who have two independent incomes maybe in their household and are maybe dog moms, aka me. But And then also <laughs> to the people who have children and are trying to kind of in, really encourage more healthier habits around money in general, while also encouraging the value of a dollar and what does that look like so that you're not always saying yes. But if we can start with the people who are employed, making money, maybe making money in their family, at that degree for the first time. Like I'm first generation and I know that there was no way my mom was making what I'm making now. And I also didn't grow up around anyone who was as financially literate to teach me what to do with that. Yeah. So I'm the same. So I came here. I'm not even first generation. My daughter's first generation Mm. because I came here. um, I immigrated here from Guyana. Mm. So um, I am an immigrant myself. And so similar situation, neither one of my parents graduated from high school. My dad was a mechanic. My mom was an office worker. So very blue collar background growing up in in Brooklyn in a Mm -hmm. hyper segregated area of the city. And so I... My only examples of people who were wealthy was watching Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous (laughs) on TV, right? Back in, what was that, like the 90s? Mm -mm. And so for me... Again, I learned by necessity because I had a child to support, and I've always had somewhat of a contrarian nature, much to my parents' disappointment Mm -hmm. because, you know, a child should be seen and not heard, and a girl child should be, like, obedient, and that was never my vibe. Oh, so you grew up in my family, too? (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, But it turns out that that's a very valuable skill in life because the truth is, when we come from a cultural background where money conversations are not common and uh, where really there's a lot of honestly kind of desperation about around money and this feeling that we don't have control of our financial lives. We don't have control over our careers or jobs. And so we always need to be squirreling away and being Mm -hmm. as frugal as possible because you never know when your next paycheck or your next meal will come from that we have to be really the the change makers in our society. We have to be willing to, and it's difficult because especially if you come from an immigrant background where a child should be obedient to a parent, even as an adult child, Mm -hmm. where culturally there are expectations about deferring to your elders, it can be really difficult, but I think you can do it in a way that's respectful. You can allow them to have their perspective, but understand that that perspective does not have to govern the decisions that you make in your financial life. Mm -hmm. So in the same way that you have advanced in your career, chances are gained educational achievement that your parents never did, stepped into entrepreneurship in a way that your parents never did, you can do the same thing with your finances. It's a skill just like Mm -hmm. any other skill that you've learned. And so leaning into the fact that you are capable 
of continuing to change and to change the trajectory of your family, which is honestly why our parents came here in the first Mm -hmm. place. They wanted a better life for us. And this is just a continuation of it and one that maybe they didn't see coming. But once they see you thriving, they will then be able to kind of sit in the comfort that, hey, she knows what she's doing. She's doing well financially. That is all I want for her. Mm -hmm. And then they will eventually kind of start easing back (laughs) and letting you live your life. One of the things you said was really important and something that I think about too, which is our family's American dream was limited by so much, right? It was Mm -hmm. like, I grew up in Washington Heights. And so my family all lived in like in the same apartment and they were limited by what they could see. And for them, it was like making it to the end of the week. Like that was the American dream. Like at their most, maybe being able to say that you comfortably are making it to the next month Mm -hmm. and feeling okay, understanding that you don't have to live like that just because they were limited by that is a hard thing to come by, but a really necessary thing because it does, I think, free you to then explore how you can take ownership of your financial freedom in a way that maybe didn't seem possible to them, but it is available to you. What other tips do you have for people who are maybe for the first time or really deep into trying to take ownership of that financial freedom? Well, I would say that you always want to make sure that you're prioritizing learning how to manage your money well and building your financial skills. Money is one of those things that we kind of just have to start doing it Mm -hmm. and we sort of learn by doing. And then it becomes sort of invisible because we create our little systems and we're we're doing okay, right? We are saving money, right? And things feel like they're moving in the right direction. And so what that can do is lull us into a sense of complacency Mm -hmm. where we feel like because there are no fires to put out that our finances don't need our attention. And so that's why in the book, I really do teach people to focus on envisioning what they want for their life and really continually asking themselves the question, what do I want my life to look like? Mm -hmm. Where do I see my life going? Because that will help you see where the gaps are. And so when you do that, then you see money as something that continually needs your attention, but doesn't have to take up that much time. But it's something that you shouldn't just figure that it'll all work itself out Mm -hmm. in the end. It's actually something that does take a certain amount of continual consideration. It's sort of like your teeth. Mm -hmm. I like (laughs) to say you've you've got a brush, you've got a floss, you go to the dentist twice a year. If you have cavities, you get those filled. Well, money is the same way. It requires maintenance and really just making sure that you're paying attention to it on a regular basis. What other things can people learn if they pick up your book? which for the video version of this podcast, I'm pointing out right now. (laughs) Yeah. So one of my favorite tools uh, I teach inside of the book, which is having a one-year spending plan. So instead of budgeting by paycheck or month to month or not budgeting at all, I teach a method for budgeting your whole year at once. And the reason why I recommend that is because really, if you think about it, our lives are very cyclical year over year. And there are things that only happen at certain points in the year. But if you wait until that point of the year to start planning for it, then you end up 
kind of backtracking. And so that's why I say plan your whole year out at once. You can see this is when I want to take vacation. This is how much it's going to cost. Hey, the holidays are coming up. I want to travel. I want to see friends and family. Mm -hmm. I want to give this amount in gifts. And so you plan for those things, which allows your finances. First of all, you feel way more in control because you're thinking ahead to the things that are coming. It's just (laughs) a matter of time. And then things are not catching you off guard in the same way. And over time, your when your spending plan gets more and more accurate, which allows you to then automate your finances. When it comes to that anxiety that may happen when you're sitting down with your budget or your finances or like looking at a year and thinking, I've never done this before, I'm going to have a panic attack. What are some of those tips that you have to just help people approach this in a more calm and grounded way? Well, first, I would, again, bring yourself to a point of awareness because anxiety, that anxiety is going to be fueled by different thoughts for different people. And so you want to recognize, start to see what thoughts are actually coming up Mm. for you. What's making you feel this anxiety? It could be uh, feeling, often feelings of guilt, Mm -hmm. especially if you haven't looked at your finances for a while. And so depending on what the feelings are, that's, you'll have to counter it differently. But if it's something where, oh, I haven't paid attention to my finances in a while. I know I'm not going to like what I see here. You could counter it by saying, okay, that may be true. And you know, things like this happen and Mm -hmm. it's okay that I fell off. I'm back now. So giving yourself that positive self-talk, which again, depending on your family background, that's not (laughs) something that you grew up. So it's like Mm -hmm. reparenting yourself to self-soothe, to say, it's okay. I've got my own back. I'm here now. And I'm not going to beat myself up about Mm -hmm. this. And this is important to me. I think that is a a good phrase that anyone can use. This is important to me. When I do this, I know that I will feel much better about my finances and where I'm going from here than if I continue to not do this. And the life that I want, the person that I want to be in my life can show up in their finances and course correct no matter what. And that's who I am. Mm -hmm. And so it's just reinforcing to yourself that this is worth it. It matters to you. You want to do this. It's also not going to hurt you, right? Calming your own brain. Like I'm going to be okay. I'm actually going to be better off if I look at this now than if I continue to put it off. Right. And I want my life to be as easy as possible. So let's just get this out of the way. And so really it's just practicing that positive self-talk and also potentially just taking it in bite-sized pieces. So you don't have to figure everything out all at once, unless of course it's tax season and you're facing the tax deadline, then maybe- Actually, my next question was going to be about taxes, but let's go ahead. (laughs) Maybe you want to hire a financial professional to help you get through all of the paperwork there. But also just, it's okay. It happens to all of us where sometimes life happens and it's okay. You can pick up the pieces again and keep it moving. And I guarantee you, you will make progress over time, even with those minor lapses. And it's not a source of shame. Like you said, everyone goes through it for one reason or another. Life just happens. And so feeling okay and giving yourself permission to just jump right back into it is the only way that you're going to not have that anxiety tomorrow. But like you were bringing up, my next question was going to be around tax season, but also I... 
I've been self-employed for eight years um, since I graduated from college. And I tend to be the friend that people come to when they're like, I want to quit my job. I want to be self-employed. And then they're just very scared of like tax season and having to pay taxes like either in lump sum or like estimate taxes throughout the year. And the way that I explain it to them is like the reason it doesn't feel like you're getting taxes taken out is because like if you have a regular nine to five job, it's simply because you're not seeing the money first. Right. So like it's psychologically, you're just like, oh, that's not even there. When you're paying estimated taxes, there's a little bit more anxiety that comes with that. Or if you're paying like a lump sum once a year. But it also, to your point that you just made, it's important to me because I like the lifestyle that being an entrepreneur allows for me. And so I kind of package it all together. But what advice would you have for someone who's maybe on the fence of wanting to go and be self-employed or do something on their own, but is really afraid of the anxiety that will stem from tax season? Well, like you said, it's taxes are, what is it, that phrase that like the only thing that's certain in life is death (laughs) and taxes, taxes, right? So I like to say that people cause themselves a lot of unnecessary financial anxiety because they resist reality. Oh my gosh. I'm going to clip that as like just an audio (laughs) for TikTok. (laughs) But it's like, can you imagine if you were walking around and someone walked up to you and was like, can you believe this gravity thing? Do you know how much higher I could jump if gravity just didn't exist? And they wasted so much time lamenting about how bad gravity is for like their weight or whatever. And you would say, well, but gravity is not going anywhere, Mm -hmm. right? Let's just, how about we just accept that gravity is what it is and we learn how to get what we want despite gravity, right? Given that gravity is going to be there. So it's the same thing with your taxes. Taxes add so much value to your life. Think of taxes as what you pay to create the business landscape that allows you to go out Mm -hmm. and make money right? So given that you know that taxes are going to happen, you just plan for them. As an entrepreneur, the beautiful thing about entrepreneurship is that you get to decide how much money you make and how much you want to work. So you factor in, given the fact that I know I'm going to have to pay state, local, whichever federal taxes, how much money, how much revenue does my business need to make in order for me to make meet all of my business expenses, including paying taxes and pay me the salary that I want to pay Mm -hmm. myself. And so that is how you set your business revenue goals. It's so important too that, um, first of all, yeah, like there's so many things within this conversation that I'm just going to clip and make into audios because I think that they're just so rooted in really anchoring yourself in the positive mindset for lack of a better word to invite these things in as opportunities for growth versus as the things that are keeping you down when in reality the things that are keeping you down are the scarcity mindset attached to so many of the reasons why we're scared yeah it's what you are making it mean it's how you are interpreting it and when you are using your energy against, again, railing against reality, you're not using the energy that you could have been using to figure out, okay, how can I succeed in spite of this? Because guess what? Everybody else is paying taxes too. And there are people out there just like you thinking about starting a business and they're just going to jump in and do it. And they're going to figure out how to make the money that they need and pay their taxes and pay their quarterly Mm -hmm. estimated taxes. And they're going to have the freedom that they desire and the life that they desire, the life and freedom you desire. So why not you, right? Don't just let them do it. You do it too. This is an opportunity for anyone listening to just like jump and do whatever. And it doesn't have to be being self-employed. It can be just feeling so empowered in your finances, however you're earning your money 
and just feeling like you can actually take the vacation you want or buy the house you're looking at or get the car or just have like a really nice savings account that makes you feel way more confident in yourself. Yeah, absolutely. As someone is looking for the tools to kind of get this journey started for themselves, what would you recommend? Well, I would say to start with the book because one of the things that I've done is written a book that I felt was really mentally clean Mm -hmm. when it comes to talking about money. So it's not filled with language that will cause sort of defeatism in your brain. So you won't hear me say anything about debt being a burden or your student loans holding you back. Those types of limiting beliefs, they sneak into money conversations so much that we don't even realize that they're happening. So it's not about the money is a great place to start to see money conversations happen without making you feel bad about your finances and about managing money. No, it should be a joyful experience. So it's a great place to start. And then work on implementing what's inside of the book. But if you need additional support, I do have a program called Wealth Builder Society Mm -hmm. that has coaching and additional tools. And not everyone needs this. Mm -hmm. Some people can read a book and change their life. Some people, and if this is you, we all have these issues Mm -hmm. where there's something where we want to improve that we need additional support with, which is something else I never learned as a kid that you can actually get support to help you improve. So if that is you and you need more support, don't be afraid to go out. You can work with me. You can work with some other money coach to get the additional support that you need to build your financial skills, skills that will last, will benefit you for a lifetime. It's an audit of yourself, right? I think it's the same thing we do when we're thinking, do I have to go to therapy? Do I want to find it like a fitness coach? Do I? It's that same energy that you're putting behind some of these wellness goals. And I do see this as a wellness goal because I think that the level of peace that sitting with your money and your finances can give you is something that money can't buy, but that actually just brings you so much of that agency back. Yeah. Again, the quality of your financial decisions, the quality of the actions that you take in your finances will make a huge difference in your, not only your overall financial trajectory, but also the meaningful experiences and memories that you make in your life. Because the reality is that life costs money. (laughs) (laughs) And so again, you make better financial decisions which doesn't mean spending less, but really financial decisions that are aimed at creating the life that you want, then you create overall a life that is more satisfied and fulfilling. And no one's going to complain about something like that. There is nothing about that. And I also love to start bringing the conversation up um, full circle. I love how the book's title, It's Not About the Money. Because I feel like even this conversation, we've been talking for 26 minutes now, has not been it has been about the money, but a lot of it has been around how you feel around your money and how to make sure that the things that you're feeling around your money aren't just negative. Right. And also you being the financial decision maker. So you being the person that gets to decide what you want your money to do for you. Your financial decisions should be based on your your vision and your values for your life, not arbitrary rules of thumb. One of the other questions that I wanted to say, well, two of them actually, um, one is around joint accounts with a partner. There's these big conversations happening on TikTok, which is mostly where I'm getting my content these days, but um, about people being up in arms one way or another. 
And I feel like, honestly, it's the same way that you decide which bank you want to bank with. Like, it is just a personal choice. But if someone were wanting to keep their sep- their accounts separate and also wanting to or wanting to join, create joint accounts, what would you recommend as like a way to have those conversations with a partner? Well, I mean, I'm always about just being really transparent and open and honest and also being really respectful of your partner and their thoughts and feelings. And so you just have the conversation. What do you want to do? Do you want us to combine our finances? Why or why not? What are you worried about? What are your concerns? Um, Why do you want to combine finances? Why does that mean so much to you? Because again, it may not be about the money. It may mean to one person. Well, so for me, I know growing up, my parents would fight about money. And in particular, my mom would often talk about pouring all of her money that she would earn into the household, but my father only giving her portions of his money and keeping some of his money for himself. And I always felt like that was so disempowering, this idea that a man could keep some of his money, but the woman, all of the woman's labor, plus her actual physical labor went into the household. And I never wanted that for me. So whatever, whichever way we went, I decided it needed to be equal. Mm -hmm. Either we're both holding back some of our money and we make the decision that this is how much we're both contributing equally to the household or we're both contributing everything. But you see how it's really not even about the money. It's about uh, a feeling of like equal partnership, a feeling of love, a feeling of not wanting to repeat the same dysfunctions that I saw in my parents growing up. And so we need to be open to having these kinds of vulnerable conversations with our partners without judgment, because we all have different backgrounds and stories that have led us to this place where we're making decisions. And so the idea being, you approach those conversations with mutual love and respect that, hey, we're in this together and we're going to find a way that works for both of us. Those money stories are so important. And I had asked earlier and I wanted to bring it back around, but from a parent to a child. Um, And I'm thinking particularly like that teenage age where there's a bigger understanding of money than when you're much smaller. How do you have that conversation in the sense of not saying we don't have the money for this just because you don't want to have them buy this thing that's very expensive or this thing that they already have so much of? Well, I can tell you, having raised a teenager, my daughter Alexis is now, she's about to be 21 years old. And I also have a seven-year-old. So <laughs> I've, I've Good age you know, groups. I'm still yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, that it can be really challenging with a teenager because so much they're in this developmental stage where they're looking to their peers and what their peers are doing. You are no longer their primary kind of central focus for what they're looking at for what creates a good life. So My daughter and I and my husband, we would have lots of conversations around her friends going to Sephora and spending hundreds of dollars or wanting an iPhone and wanting iPhones every year and us saying to her, well, these things are not priorities for us. If this is something that you want, you should get a job, Mm -hmm. you should save up. And yeah, it was, it meant us being comfortable with her being mad at us, but being patient and also not expecting her to not be mad. Like, it's okay for you to be mad. You can have your preferences and we have ours, but understand that we're not going to compromise our financial mores, right? Our Mm -hmm. financial principles without good reason. Now we were always open. Again, it's a dialogue. Explain to me 
why you need an iPhone specifically. Mm -hmm. Why is the iPhone, the $1,200 iPhone, so much better than the $150 Motorola G? Legit (laughs) conversation that we actually had. And she couldn't. And so I'm like, well, you don't actually have a good reason besides the fact that everyone else has one. And guess what? That's not a good reason, Mm -hmm. which is a powerful lesson to teach a child early on. Yes, when you get older, you might decide, I want this car, right? Joseph's a car guy. He He just bought a Genesis, which he loves so much. He loves driving it. And it's a luxury car, but we're not just buying it because other people have it. He did a lot of research into what he values and wants from a car, and that was the car that met that need. So it was a great opportunity for us to teach Alexis, our daughter, that lesson early on, and she hated it as a teenager. But now that she is an adult, she is very grateful for all of those lessons. How are you teaching your seven-year-old if you are teaching your seven-year-old? even the basic principles of money or finances? Yes. So he has an allowance. And Mm -hmm. so if he wants something, then he needs to save up for it for the most part. So he can put it on a wish list for birthdays or Christmas. But otherwise than that, he has an allowance. And we actually based his allowance on how much we wanted him to be able to spend each month and also save and donate. And so we came up with, so it was like a reverse budget. We didn't do this whole, give them the amount that is equal to their age, but we really thought about wanting him to be working towards multiple goals, savings goals and spending goals. And so he decides which things he wants to prioritize. He has, he's got a little budget spreadsheet and a wallet and he buys, yeah, he buys things himself. And we will start, we also have conversations with him when he says, we're at the store and he's like, well, I want this or that. We would say, well, you have this at home. We already bought you something. We'll give him the reasons. Um, We don't think this is healthy. We're not going to buy this. You can use your allowance though. And it's worked really well. It really puts the agency on him to make decisions on what he wants and what are needs for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, if you want it, spend your money. <laughs> and and then he's like, oh, actually, I don't really want it that badly. I'm like, I'm not surprised. Yeah, he's like, put your money where your mouth is. And he's like, no, <laughs> exactly. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And I actually also give him, so with One Big Happy Life, he will work in the company. So anytime I take I an Instagram that. story of him or use a photo of him, I actually pay him. I pay him a dollar for any Instagram story that he's in. So he also gets money for work. And sometimes we'll do brand deals where they'll want him to model in the photo and he gets paid for that as well. So he also has the opportunity to make more money Mm -hmm. if he wants to make more money to be able to hit his financial goals faster. I feel like that is such a healthy dynamic for someone who has to be online because that's your career and how to treat your family dynamics at the same time and respect your children for, for being children, but also wanting yeah. to maybe participate in the family business. Yeah. And if it's, and if he says no, it's no. Yeah. Right? Cause I always want him to feel like he has a choice in whether or not he is actively participating in any public facing content. And the cool thing is like that our whole conversation has really centered around the idea that we have a choice, like either managing our money And looking it straight in the eyes and figuring out how to budget it is a choice. Choosing not to do that is also a choice. And that that comes with its own consequences and its anxieties and the feeling of just feeling very overwhelmed. And I am so thankful to have had this conversation with you because I think it will bring a lot of peace and hopefully encourage people to just 
little by little, like as much as you can sit with it, sit with it, go do something else, come back to it. But creating that sense of peace around finances can really make a really big difference. Yeah. And really, I say that it's essential, especially one of the things that I like for people to think about is not just right now when they have a good job, where they have their health and everything is working great, but think about later on in life when you are older, when there are a lot of people out there who may be trying to take advantage of you. Because one thing I can say from my banking and finance attorney days, elder abuse is real. Mm -hmm. And so you need to hone those skills your whole life so that when you're older, that you're able to continue to make good financial decisions for yourself. And even even when it comes to choosing who's the person that's going to manage your estate and your affairs, if you reach a point in your life where you're not able to do it yourself, you need to, you need to, you know, sharpen the ax, right? Or sharpen the sword. I, <laughs> I should never use analogies because I get it wrong. But but I feel like we know that, what you're getting at. Yeah. yeah the, the idea that when you're older, the mistakes can actually have a, a dramatic impact on your quality of life at a time in your life when you should just be enjoying your golden years and where you don't have the ability to go out and make more money and course correct. So build those skills now so that they're there for you to rely on when you're older. And it's never too late to start. Like at any point that you're Absolutely. hearing this conversation right now is a great time if you've been feeling overwhelmed um, because it does set you up for the future in a really effective way. Mm -hmm. Scarlett, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. I'm so happy that you were here and that you were able to share so much of your knowledge with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is a great conversation. Where can people find you online? Well, they can find me at onebighappylife.com and at One Big Happy Life everywhere, YouTube, Instagram. Amazing. I'll make sure to include all of those in the show notes. Managing your money is scary for everyone, not just you. And kind of like going to the dentist, you're overwhelmed until you go and then you're relieved about it. Let me know how you feel about this conversation. And don't forget to rate, review, or share. Happy to be here with a friend if you can. I'll catch you next Thursday with a new conversation.